Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and identity meet. Transition of Style is sponsored by QueerCut, a global gender-free marketplace and online community that connects LGBT shoppers with queer-friendly brands and products. Welcome back to Transition of Style. I'm your host, Corinne. What's going on? Today, I have Carla Bilar. Carla is a wedding officiant and love storyteller, excited to authentically connect with humans and resonate with stories that belong center stage. Our love stories, which I believe are queer love stories. Carla, what's going on? (laughs) Well, I'm uh, happy to be here and share a little bit about myself and talk a little bit about style with you. I cannot wait. I'm excited. I want to hear from you, though, about you being a queer wedding officiant. Sure. Tell me about that. So I am the queer half of a sister officiant duo uh, for Once Upon a Vow. My sister is the one that started the company a few years back. And she thought I'd do a pretty good job. And I apparently, I did. I uh, was asked by one of my teacher friends from my past job Mm -hmm. to marry her and her husband. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she came to me because we had a great relationship and she offered me the opportunity and I took it. And with my sister's guidance, I was able to, you know, provide a very personalized ceremony for them. And Honestly, it was one of the best days because I woke up feeling happy and yeah. thinking about love yeah. and I ended the day on such a high. Yeah. So I realized, oh, yeah, I could totally do this. And I'm finding that it is really uh, a beautiful experience that mm-hmm. I love to share with all the couples that come to me. So, that's, yeah, that's incredible. So, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what you were doing before you became a wedding officiant, because I want to find out, like. You know, it didn't, from what we talked about, it sounds as like what you were doing before was completely different. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. So to to jump from what you were doing to being a, an officiant, I mean, that must have been an adjustment. So take us a little bit through your history and sure. how you even became a wedding officiant. Sure. So it actually happened uh, this past summer when I finally jumped ship and decided to make this, you know, what I do. But prior to that, I was in the world of education. Specifically, I was uh, the director of school operations for uh, an elementary charter school in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I was a teacher. And, you know, I've been in the nonprofit world, um, you know, serving uh, various communities in different capacities. But uh, education was, I guess, my most, uh, or that was center stage for me, you know, prior to this experience. I mean, it is a different world. And uh, one of the reasons that I actually hesitantly decided to, you know, do something very different is or very different is because I was in a very sort of dark place Mm -hmm. um, that uh, started uh, happening, you know, prior to and during the election of 2016. I'm sure I'm not alone. A a dark time for many of us. (laughs) Yes. Um, And uh, like everything in my life at that time was kind of coming to a head where it was clear that I needed to make a drastic change in order for me to just be a healthy human being. You know, I was um, going through a separation at the time. The election was happening, which was, you know, just conjuring up a lot of feelings and a lot of dynamics with different people in my life that, Mm -hmm. you know, complicated things and, Mm -hmm. you know, my mental health was, you know, challenged by a lot of what I was seeing mm-hmm. uh, happening, not just, you know, outside of my world, but very much within my my world. And in the school that I was at, I was seeing a lot of the things just kind of manifest in very similar ways where the majority of the children and the families that we service, they were, you know, black and brown. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the leaders uh, in the organization were white. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a disconnect that I noticed being 
you know, part of the leadership team and having conversations that I thought were crucial to have around diversity, uh, equity, and inclusiveness. Yes. They just were not being taken seriously. And I saw the impact of what was happening, again, outside of the school, very much happening inside with Mm -hmm. the dynamics uh, between the staff, um, Mm -hmm. the experiences that our families were having. Many of the families that we served were immigrants, first generation and immigrant families. And you know, even still, the uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric that exists is is um, incredibly painful to you know see how it plays out. Unfortunately, the school leadership at the time didn't feel as invested as I wish that they were around mm-hmm. really developing programming, setting aside some concerted effort, you know, to or putting concerted effort into really creating the type of space that we claimed we wanted for all of our children. Right. And that included, you know, making space for our staff and, you know, really listening to the feedback that we were getting around issues that were coming up, you mm-hmm. know, again, that were very much related to what was happening in the outside world. So, okay. okay. So you became part of leadership because you felt like, you know, there needed to be representation at a higher level that was similar to what the student body, you know. Yes. So I'm a, I'm actually an immigrant. I was born in Peru and I moved to the States when I was six years old. I actually came through Mexico. I was mm-hmm. a formerly undocumented immigrant mm-hmm. and I saw my story reflected in the stories of many of the children and the families that were at my school. It was very personal for me to speak up and, you know, name some of the things that I was seeing perpetuated within the system that, you know, we had. And so the way that I saw that I could, you know, put my perspective out there and share my voice and and speak up was by accepting the leadership opportunity that was offered to me. That came with a lot of challenges. And unfortunately, you know, being at the table does not necessarily mean you're given the space or the right. authority to right. do something with, with that position, you right. know, um, and, and bucking the system is much harder when you're one of the few or the yeah. only, you yeah. know, person potentially representing the the larger community. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, so. that sounds like it was a difficult situation. It was. It yeah. was. It took a toll on my um, mental health, really, because I wanted to do so much more, and I found myself feeling quite limited. And and the truth is that I wasn't in the best place either. I mm-hmm. think maybe I would have done a better job now mm-hmm. because I feel more centered mm-hmm. and you know healthier. But then again, with everything that was happening in my life, I was quite vulnerable and I was unable to manage a lot of the emotions that were coming up for me and right, so right. a lot of things happened but at the end of the day I see them as you know lessons and opportunities for me to expand and grow and I feel like the transition that I've made into this world is exactly what I needed because now I spend my time like focusing on love wow. and the love stories of the couples that come to me yeah. and it is an incredible honor yeah. and a privilege that both my sister and I like take very personally and like our work just to to do work that you feel so passionately about and that feels so good yes. is just so different than yeah. most of the work that I've done in the past. So <laughs> I'm so grateful for 100%. it. I understand 100%. Yes. I understand 100%. So I just have to ask, so what created the jump from education to being an officiant? Like what, what happened? How did that shakeup happen? So honestly, it was uh, because one of my teachers asked me to do a wedding, do her wedding, marry her and her husband. And my sister, since she had opened up the business, said, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to get your feet wet. Oh, so and it was just that wedding that It was started just this that whole one thing? wedding that started it. And I realized just oh. how awesome I felt. Like, I just had never experienced a full day of feeling high on love. And, <laughs> and like, I, you know... 
<laughs> if anybody has ever been high before, you know, hey, you want more of it, right? So it, it definitely felt like it was something that I could do pretty easily. And so I did it. And then my sister was like, okay, you got your feet wet. What do you think? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. You know, the way that things happened with my last job um, at the school, it was quite tumultuous. The mm-hmm. ending was really kind of uh, traumatic in many ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I kind of like I needed that to happen in order for me to choose this and decide to go the entrepreneurial route. It's not ever something that I saw myself doing, having been in nonprofits for so long, but it's something that, you know, with the support of my sister and my family, I was like, you know what? It's time because I need to invest in me and just having tried it. And then I was able to do a few more weddings and that's when I was like, oh, okay, this is not just like something that I could do for a friend, right? This is something that I could actually do for work as a profession because I am very much invested in the stories of the couples that are, that come to us, regardless of whether or not I've known them, because mm-hmm. I will get to know them, mm-hmm. you know, like learning about like what brought them together. You know, we, we do the process that we have is one where we actually ask a lot of questions. So yeah. we start with an initial survey and then we actually have a, a meeting where I am going to like, I'm going to probe, I'm going to ask, you know, so be prepared. You I know? like that. I like um, that. And the reason is because I want to pull out those, you know, little tidbits, those, those, those juicy stories and, 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 and craft a ceremony that is going to make your day memorable, mm-hmm. unforgettable for you. Mm-hmm. If you have uh, uh, loved ones there, I also want to resonate with them. So, right. so I'm going to ask a lot of questions as if I were your friend, you know, yeah. a nosy friend, you yeah. know, so, um, <laughs> and that's probably another reason why this works so well too. I've always been quite inquisitive curious yeah (laughs) and I've always really uh loved hearing about you know people's relationships and their stories Mm. it probably comes from even you know my background with my family my parents have quite an awesome love story Mm -hmm. you know they're still married you know uh to this day 40 years my sister and I actually did a vow renewal with them we surprised them with one oh that's amazing yeah so yeah and it was it was incredible but you know Their story, like their journey is one that, you know, it wasn't easy, you know, um, uh, and uh, it wasn't a fairy tale, but it was beautiful for everything that it was. Just like all of our stories, you know, Mm -hmm. it it could have been that you met on Tinder or that you like had this like fateful encounter on the street somewhere, regardless of how it started. You know, it's about like what your journey was that brought you to, you know, choosing each other, right, Mm -hmm. to marry each other. Mm -hmm. And then you know, what your hopes and dreams are, you know, moving forward, you know, right. I, I want to weave all that into a ceremony that really speaks to your heart and honors your love. And so I, it's like, honestly, one of the best jobs ever. And oh, I'm, I didn't wow. know that it was like even possible to do this. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for my sister for having like decided to even explore it. And uh, I'm grateful that I'm part of the wedding world now in this capacity. So I mean, that's incredible. It's, it's so wonderful to hear someone speaking about uh, something they're doing, their career, and with so much love and so much passion about yes. it, you know. And and it's listening to you talk. It's clear that you feel like you found your calling in a lot of ways. Yeah, right? I do, and I feel like it's also opening doors for other opportunities that I never considered. And so, as much as you know, the work itself with my couples is amazing, and I love it, and I can't wait to continue to expand and grow because I'm still pretty new to the business. So I'm I'm looking to do that much more and meet that many more couples that really want to center their day on what matters most, which is their love, right? Mm -hmm. Their story. But I also see that there are different platforms that are open to me now because of, you know, like 
who I am and I guess what I bring to the wedding industry. You know, I've had some opportunities to speak on some panels mm. and I have some coming up. And that I think stems from the fact that I've always spoken up and, you know, in, in all the worlds that I've been in, the nonprofit worlds. And this time I feel like I'm in a much more open camp where people are interested in hearing my perspective and willing to actually really truly hear the message and, right. you know, and, and potentially actually help push for that much more change. Because I think the wedding industry is definitely one that is still, you know, relatively exclusive, you mm-hmm. know, to people that have the means to get married, yes, you know. that's and, very true. Yeah, yes, very and true. It's, it's still pretty whitewashed and yeah. it's still pretty centered on a heteronormative model. 100%. And so that's, I think, one of the ways that I ended up with the, you know, handle that I, I had. I was so surprised that Queer Officiant was available, but grateful that it was because I wanted to put myself out there very very clearly as a gay woman, right? A gender queer woman. And, and I wanted to speak to the audience that hopefully will be coming more and more to me, you know, as they see that there is somebody out there that is interested in actually working with them specifically. Right. And by them, I mean, are again, all of our rainbow children. And that doesn't mean I don't work with, you know, straight couples. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I mean, I know that you don't, you don't limit yourself to that, but I, but I was so curious about, who you are marrying. So you are marrying heterosexual couples. You're marrying queer couples. Yes. What, which do you have more of? Um, how did these people find you? So I've married more straight couples so far, but I'm hoping that, you know, as I, again, become more established and as my message is out there, it reaches more and more queer people that yes. are interested in getting married. Um, yes. So I, and for this, the upcoming 2020 and also this year, I have more uh, queer couples that I will be marrying. So that's exciting. You know, the reason that I, I even... I'm doing this and I'm doing this so openly and in this way. Uh, I mean, yes, it's partly because this is just who I am and I, I'm no longer, you know, I've, I've matured. I've lived life enough to like, you know, not take a back seat. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to put myself out there and however people take it, they'll take it. But I did get a sense that there was quite a bit of reservation as I was, again, talking to colleagues, you know, within, in the industry. There are other queer vendors out there, you know, but they don't, you know, put themselves out there in that same way. And mm-hmm. I understand that because mm-hmm. I know that some people feel like it may be, it'll seem limiting, mm-hmm. right? But I I have faith that people will understand that there's a reason why I'm putting myself out there because there isn't as much representation, there isn't as much visibility. And so I'm putting myself that, out there in that way, but it doesn't mean that I exclusively work with queer people. Right. I come from two sh- beautiful straight people <laughs> that, you know, created me. And uh, most of my circles are actually quite... Uh, heterosexual but uh, again I I think one of the reasons is because I when I first got married I've been you know I'm divorced now but I was married vendors were not marketing to me like I I did not actually engage with the process very much because I didn't feel like I could I didn't know how I didn't know what uh, options there were and so I kind of I was I, I took a bit of a back seat and let mm-hmm. you know let my um, my partner do most of the planning because it is quite bright centric you know the the industry and and I didn't see myself as a quote unquote bride mm-hmm. and so I was yeah. like okay yeah. I guess maybe I you know will take a step back and yeah. so hopefully in putting myself out there as you know 
as somebody who identifies as I identify as a lot of things. One one thing that I usually say, I'm an old school butch dyke, you know, but that turns some people off. So like, you know, I mean, it is, you know, and, uh, uh, but that, that might be a generational thing, too. Yeah, right? it's like, I think it's, maybe it's, it's might, not. Yeah, it's, some of the elders will, I think, maybe respond to that. Some of the elders will definitely <laughs> respond to it. And it, it's still a thing. And I know that people can get a little like salty about it. But like, it's a thing, guys. Yeah. It is what it is. Like, yeah. it's, it's also part of like our ability to, you know, encompass many identities in this community. So we all got to. We got to let it be what it is. Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, I say that too, because, um, I know that I'm, I, again, I'm a, I'm a butch woman and I have a relationship and, uh, many of my relationships have had, uh, that butch femme dynamic, you know, that flair sure. and, and I love it. And yeah. I, and, you know, I hope that, you know, for folks that do identify as butch femme and are in that kind of relationship that, you know, they know that there are, uh, you know, vendors out there that are interested in their stories mm-hmm. and, you know, sharing that. And mm-hmm. then for everybody else who, you know, falls within whatever spectrum, you know, like I, I welcome everyone. But I again, I want to be my authentic self. And and that means me saying, you know, uh, what I like and who I am and, you know, putting myself out there just as I am. And, you know, hopefully that'll resonate with folks right. um, the way I intend. Right. But um, I mean, that's that's great. I mean, I do want to ask you, though, like, how are you finding the people that um, that hire you? How how do you get so couples? So are, is, so I'll be honest. It's okay. my sister does a lot of the work. My sister, Daniela Villarramos. Uh, again, she's the one that started Once Upon a Vow. Uh, and so she's been doing this for a few years. So she has she's like got it all down, like in terms of, you know, how uh, we're putting ourselves out there, the marketing, the process. And so a lot of it is her doing that initial work mm-hmm. uh, for me I'm, I'm still learning as to how to put myself out there right. right and so really the only thing that I know that I can do without like having to like really go through this learning process which I am I mean I'm learning a lot right now but it's just to be me yeah. right and so and again like I still I'm still like learning like social media stuff and like you know kind of like how that plays into all of this right, right. Um, now that I'm an entrepreneur I do need to be yeah, more mindful exactly. of, of how I put myself out yeah. there uh, but I'm still in the early stages and, and my sister really does a lot of the heavy lifting so I'm so grateful for her but she's the one that's in, been the most encouraging about me not just joining the business but putting myself out there as I am because she's always been my number one ally, my comrade, you know, the one that she was the first person I came out to, you know, when she oh, was 11 wonderful. years old. She's younger than I am. It sounds so. like she's younger than you. Yeah. Oh, wow. I just I assumed that she was older. No, my little sister is my hero. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's actually know, pretty beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I she was born uh, three days after my eighth birthday. And, oh, uh, wow. you know, she she claimed she wouldn't be here if I hadn't asked for her. And uh, I just think that we were definitely uh, Ooh, meant to be sisters great. in this lifetime. And I'm so grateful. Yeah, you sound like you have a great relationship I do. Her. We're like, we're, we're really a sister duo, you know, in, in this wedding world. And, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. So right now, I think because I'm putting myself out there the way that I am, I'm, you know, having some opportunities to like, again, be part of some panels and speak to like my experience, you know, as a, as a queer person, as a, a queer wedding, wedding professional. But like, I'm also a Latinx woman like my sister. And, you know, there are not very many people of color either in the industry. Right. And so, right. you know, her right. experience is just just as valid and just as important. Her voice is very powerful. And, you know, I look forward to us continuing to, you know, put ourselves out there in a way that resonates with our communities, you know, our communities of color, our Latinx communities, Mm -hmm. our, you know, uh, intercultural relationship communities. You know, we do interfaith weddings, you know, because of our own experiences in, in our relationships. And 
currently I'm in an intergenerational relationship and I want to, I want to, I want to meet couples that are in intergenerational relationships. You know, I want to, I want to do second marriage weddings because like, I'm so looking forward to my, you know, second wedding and my second marriage, you know, because there's still a stigma with divorce, you know, and I want to try to, you know, speak to that and, and let people know that like, Come to me because like, you know, whether you're straight or gay, if you're doing this for the second time around and you want to celebrate and are excited and want to make this like, you know, honor, uh, honor that relationship, then I'm here for you because I know what it's like, you know, to, you know, have the doubts and like, you know, I'm just now starting to get excited about like all the possibilities for my, you know, second wedding because I'm seeing what can be done now that maybe wasn't available, right. you know, the first time right. around. So right, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh yeah. my god, that's great. I, I, <laughs> I'm actually excited for your second wedding now too. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's gonna be a blowout. I think so. <laughs> I can't I'm, I'm, wait. You're invited. Yeah. I know. I, <laughs> I don't know when, but who's we'll gonna officiate? Are you gonna officiate? Um, so no, my sister, sister. My sister. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Fantastic. My sister wants to. Yeah, and I'm 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 thrilled just to you know have the supportive uh, family that I do and that you know I'm, I'm able to do this work now because one of the things that I see sometimes with some of the queer couples that you know come to us is unfortunately still not enough support you know for some folks in their experiences and mm-hmm. I feel that you know because mm-hmm. I, I remember like what it was to come out you know uh you know being again Latinx coming from a community where homosexuality isn't something that you know is celebrated right. and uh, uh, unfortunately still oftentimes very much attacked you know mm-hmm. and and uh or erased you know mm-hmm. um I'm so grateful that my sister was there for me uh, in a way that allowed me to, you know, kind of ease my parents into it a bit more mm-hmm. and then, you know, gain their support. But I, I, I know that, unfortunately, that's not something everybody has. No, you it's know? not everyone's experience at all. Yeah. And so I'm glad that my sister and I are there for folks that don't have that. For uh, You know, we do a lot of elopements, too, where it's mm-hmm. just a couple and maybe a few friends or just a couple, you mm-hmm. know. It's such a privilege, you know, to be there. And like, you know, I want to make sure that they know that like, you know, they have someone uh, uh, that has their back. You know, they have someone on their in their corner, you know, on their side. And, you know, I'm 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 just incredibly thrilled that this is now my life and Mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing. So, yeah, I can't move forward without going back to something you said when you talked about becoming an officiant and what what happened as you left your last job? Like you talked about it as being a, a tumultuous time. You talked a little bit about how it was a time of like, it sounds like you struggled a little bit during that time. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because I, I like to point things like this out because sometimes in your life, you will have these moments and you have these periods of your life where you're, you're really struggling with something. Mm-hmm. You feel like your life is basically batting you about, like mm-hmm. you're just being tossed about like, like a rag doll. Right. And it's, yeah. it's almost as if it's your life saying, I need change to take place. And I know this is very uncomfortable for you, but it wouldn't take place unless we shook it up this much. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? I a hundred percent believe that. You would not have be doing this work that you love, that mm-hmm. you really love. I mean, listening to you talk about it, it's clear you love this yes. work. Yes. You'd be, you know, you'd be, you might still be working in education. You might still be fighting, which I think it sounds like you were doing some amazing work there and very necessary work there. Yes. But this is the work you need to be doing right now yes. in your life. We're multidimensional beings, right? So we have a variety of passions, right? And, you know, I didn't know this was something that I could do. So, and, and I wouldn't have known that, like you said, had I not gone through 
the struggles that I went through, right? Even if like this opportunity say was available to me and it was like through my sister, my sister, you know, started doing it, like I said, a few years back. I wasn't open to it at that time. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, everything that happened, all of it had to happen in order for me to right. uh, kind of get pushed out there into this very scary world, honestly, right? Because I, uh, as much as there are issues with the nine to five, which, by the way, was never nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, never nine to five when right. you're in education. Right. No. Um, I, I, and I, in I nonprofits. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, it's scary to like, you know, in, invest in yourself and, 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 and trust yourself to like make something of nothing right because you don't know what it's what you're gonna encounter you don't know what it's going to entail necessarily i'm grateful that my sister was able to provide guidance right but at the same time i still didn't have a clear image of what it was going to look like for me right? right and so to go into the unknown that's a major risk and sometimes if we're thinking too much about it right if we're if there are clear very clear choices that you have to make. You might not make that choice. You might take the safer route, right? right? Yeah. So like I did need to go through everything that I went through so that it was like kind of like a kick in the ass yes. out into, right. you know, the next phase of my life, which is truly what I believe this is. This yeah. is like an act two for me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I get it. I get so, it. Yeah. I mean, it almost has to be that you get to a place where it's just not, it's untenable. The other thing is untenable. And yeah. so now you're, you're saying... I can't do this anymore. Right. And I don't know what this other thing looks like, but I definitely can't do this. Yes. You know, this first thing anymore. That's exactly what it was. And I think we, you know, we've talked a little bit about this uh, before, just that like, you know, you know what you don't want, right? But Which is very important. Yeah, you know what you don't want. But sometimes like, the knowing what you don't want is part of the process to get to the place where you are clear as to what you do want, 100%, right? 100%. And so, and so I had to go through all that process to, to, to finally realize, I definitely don't want this. I definitely don't want that, you know? And even though I wasn't clear as to what I did want, you know, and I'm still trying to work that, you know, work that out. I know what I don't want. And so now I'm pushing to like actually go towards what I do want. And I'm becoming better at identifying like really what, uh, truly resonates with me at yes. my core yes and yes. and yes. what's just something that yes. like I've been trained to think is for me because yes. of the training that we get right yes. through school through our parents through society right and so it's a lot of like it's a lot of faith it's a lot of um and I'm going through a spiritual journey and I'm so grateful for it to have like the the space and and and, and the time and be in a the kind of environment that I'm in now where I can do that because I am in such a better place, yeah. like mentally, it sounds emotionally. Like it. Yeah. It sounds like And it. I can offer that to my couples, right? Yeah. I don't think I would have right. been able to offer the kind of service that That's I can right. now right. because I'm in a good place, you right. know? And it's such a, it's a dynamic relationship uh, with strangers, you know, like being their officiant. So and true, right? It, it is. So true. You know? I, guess, I guess it becomes a so, somewhat of an intimate relationship. Yeah. Like that you have had to form in a much shorter period of time than Absolutely. you might, like if it was happening naturally. Absolutely. I, it, it, I mean, it is because we get to hear from them directly, you know, what it is about each other and what was it, you know, in their lives that got them to this place. And, and so you get these glimpses into like, you know, these beautiful people's, you know, stories. And I, I love it. It's, it's just something that I've always enjoyed like hearing stories like when I was in education, you know, uh, I talked to my kids, my beautiful children and and the staff and and the families like I engaged with pretty much all the entire community in, in you know, different ways. And so that the the relationships that I build were were incredibly important and valuable. The, mm. the stories that I would hear yeah. from like my kids and and my families and, and my staff, like they stick with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And which is why I think every encounter that I have with a human being, you know, like I'm, I'm just so grateful for it now 
because it's all important. It all like, and you know, we feed each other, you know, we, we, we can nurture each other. We can nourish each other by just being like honest with each other mm-hmm. and, and like sharing parts of ourselves with each other. And, and I know that sometimes that's a little bit difficult, you know, to become, to be vulnerable, right. To, yes. to, to really be honest about like our fears and, and our, our struggles. But I think in doing that, we open up opportunities for others to be that vulnerable with us and, and, and be that open with us. And I, I think that's a win-win, right? Yeah, because I mean, we that's, get that's to resonate connection, with that, each other. That's how connection is formed. It's, it's not formed unless you're willing to like, you know, open up and, and share something. Like yeah. That, you know? But I guess, I guess I've always had that like in pretty much all of the work that I've done, like, you know, regardless of who I've worked with, I've been open to mm-hmm. other people's experiences and other people's perspectives and also been open with my own story, you know, and I'm just grateful to kind of be in a place where those stories are, are the center of like what I do, you oh, know, wow. and honoring those lives and honoring that love is just amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. This is really great. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, oh, that's, that's amazing. I want to talk to you a little bit about clothing now. Yes. And style. Yes. We wanted, we wanted to kind of touch on that a bit. You identify as a butch person, a uh, lesbian, someone's maybe masculine center, yes. right? You use she, her pronouns. Yes. What I want to ask, though, is it sounds like you went through a little bit of a journey with your clothing. Oh, yes. As your identity started to sort of shift a little bit. Absolutely. So talk to me about that. Because yeah. it sounds like, I don't know, I mean, based off of what we were talking about, it sounds like it, some of that may have happened because of how you had to dress professionally. Mm-hmm. Some of that was just, you know, you were living in areas where you didn't have to think too much about your clothing and yes. then you happened to move someplace like New York where your clothing was like, okay, I need to like, I need to I communicate to something. Yeah, I need to step it up a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah. So I want to hear about that journey because sure. it sounds very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up, you know, Latinx, you know, Latina woman, right? And my journey started doing a lot of the same sort of performative femininity stuff that most women, you know, uh, do or feel like they have to do, you know, at some point in their lives. And, and I went through that and I remember like when I finally realized I didn't have to do that it was just so liberating you know in so many uh, respects like because it was all painful I was never good at the makeup stuff I was never good at any of like the the styling clothing stuff so I was glad to like you know leave that behind and the the transition happened when I left New York and I moved to western Massachusetts um, Northampton specifically where I was welcomed by a beautiful lesbian community of the earthy, crunchy variety is what we like to joke and say because, uh, you know, this was the the late 90s and early millennium. So, you know, it's Birkenstocks and cargo pants and shorts, you know. We dressed it up with linens, you know, but that was the extent of it. So I kind of got just very, you know, I guess androgynous in my look and I would say that there were definitely times where it was like, it was fashionless. It was not, I I didn't, I wasn't communicating anything specific with my, my style, my clothing. But there was one thing that I did when I moved to Northampton that drastically changed how I felt about myself and it has to do with style. And that was cutting my hair. Ah. It was, you know, again, long hair is like, you know, something that was sort of expected, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, you know, growing up. And I'd always had long hair and I I felt the privilege of passing, you know, and also the discomfort that I had with passing once I went uh, moved to Northampton because I was now away from my family and felt like I could be more open about my sexuality. And I I had left with my girlfriend at the time. That's how I ended up in Northampton. So I was like, at the time I was, I was single and I was like, okay, now I need to like really 
message out that I am gay. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm super gay, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm butch gay, you know. Right. That's what I wanted to like put out there. And the easiest way to do that was to cut my hair. And, you know, it was it was a hard choice because I had just been so used to my long hair, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I was like, my head is not shaped right for my <laughs> haircut or whatever. But the minute I cut my hair, it was like such a such a drastic change because I just became more visible. Right. It, you know, right, people, right away. Pe- yeah, right people. Away. And I mean, there are other things that came out of that that were like not exactly pleasant. Like, you know, it have encounters where it's like, sir, this or like, you know, things like that. But like that never really bothered me too much. But, you know, there were other things that came out of that that weren't all that great. But what was amazing was that at least within the queer community, especially since I was now single, mm-hmm. I was able to go out there and I didn't have to, like, uh, endure some of the passes, you know, like from men or. And also, I, I kind of I think I was messaging that I was a butch woman and mm-hmm. I was interested in being with, you know, femme women. Right. right. Okay. Uh, femme yeah. presenting women. At least that's. So they saw you then. They started, they started see seeing like, me. Like, yeah. Oh, so she's on the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was that made a huge difference. And then I think the clothing actually started happening once I just was kind of getting into more and more professional settings. Again, I was in Northampton and mostly nonprofits. So like you didn't need to dress up in any particular, you know, way. I moved a lot. And so once I became a teacher, I was in Philly at the time. And then I also was running a program for formerly incarcerated people who were looking to get back into the job market. I started like now needing a better look and so what I was working with was mostly like less fitted but still sort of stylish like more androgynous female clothing Mm -hmm. right like the collared shirts Mm -hmm. you know the v-necks basic pants Um, and then I started you know finding suits that were they were again women's suits but the the most sort of genderless suits I could find right? right and you know that was that was good for a while but it wasn't until I actually took on this job as a director of school operations where I was like, I need to like now step up my game, right? I'm, I have to look the part. I think an opportunity for, for me to like feel like I belonged, right? Like I, I felt like I needed to belong. There was a lot of imposter syndrome, which I'm sure many of us experience, you know, and people can relate to, but I needed to feel like I was up to task and I belonged. And so part of that was like really looking like a, a professional and, and, and for the first time ever, because I had lost some weight and I was able to go into a store top man and find a suit that I could actually fit, you know, right. I mean, there was still tailoring to do, but I could actually fit mm-hmm. and it looked good. It was like, I, it, I was just, it felt so different than my previous experiences had felt uh, with, with clothing and mm-hmm. with fashion. Like I felt like myself and I felt good about myself, which was not an experience that I'd really had mm-hmm. prior to, you know, finally being able to dress in the way that actually matched who I felt like I was, right? Which was uh, just someone with style, I guess, you know, someone that could look good in an outfit, you know, versus kind of like the schleppy thing that I had going on prior right. to like, you know, making this uh, right. uh, discovery. So, right. so yeah, it was a uh, top man. I tried on a suit. It fit. They had like just some minor alterations that they had to make. I, damn, for the first time I could say, I, I look good. Right. Um, you that, felt good. Uh, yeah, I yeah. felt good. That coincided with having to date again, which wow. is the other reason why okay. I ended up like caring more about like what I look like, right. right? Right. And so now I started shopping, which, you know, and like shopping and, and like building my wardrobe in, in a more intentional way. Like, and, and, and I'm grateful that I had the means to do it, you know, because I know 
that like you know that was definitely a barrier for me as well you know before just like finding the money for the kind of like outfits that I really wanted mm-hmm. right because it can be really expensive yes and and the tailoring component is another thing but it was uh, really uh, like a time where I started realizing just how much I had been holding back in terms of like my authentic you know presentation yes. right I started having fun for the first time with clothing oh, that's and great. I don't know if people haven't experienced that before. I definitely recommend that you, you know, take a moment for yourself and invest in yourself in whatever way you can to really like just feel good. Like I'm sure that like those that have had that experience can resonate with it. Like for the first time seeing yourself, like, you know, like you want to see yourself, Mm -hmm. right? What's reflected to you back to you is someone that you knew was there maybe, but like didn't know how to, you know, get them out or, you know, didn't know uh, you could somehow tap into that. And, and it's, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. It it does wonders for like, you know, the, the soul and your mind, you know, and your sense of self. Mm -hmm. If if you haven't done it yet, like, you know, and you're like kind of teetering and then trying to figure out if like you should go out there and like, you know, play with your style a bit more, go for it because it can actually do a world of good that you might not be aware of. I totally agree with that. And let me ask you, do you feel like when you started to dress in that way, when you started, you know, after getting that suit of top man and, and going to get more suits, do you feel like people uh, reacted to you differently? Yes. I think one of the coolest things was the fact that some of the young men at my job, some of the young teachers would be like, ooh, look at look <laughs> at that suit. They would just like, you know, toss all these compliments and they, they were liking my style. They were liking my ties. They yeah. were liking my jackets, you yeah. know. They wished that they could fit into them, you know, like, yeah. which was the opposite, like, of what, like, I was used to. Like, I was used to looking at, like, some um, uh, men who had, like, you know, uh, access to these these awesome, like, you know, outfits and, and shoes. Shoes is another thing yeah. that I wished I could, you know, have. I wish I could pull those things off and I just didn't see myself doing that. And all of a sudden now I'm in the position where some, you know, fashionable young men are liking what I'm wearing. And, you know, it just, it just feels good. It does something for you in terms of just like, you know, uplifting your spirits. And, um, and especially during that time, it's like, like, fashion was actually like one of the biggest joys that I had at that time because there was a lot of, it was a time of a lot of struggle and it was through fashion where I could find um the joy that I I wasn't able to find in other other spaces but um good for you but yeah that's good that's excellent I mean that's that's self-care that's taking care of yourself that's you know sometimes you do have to you know you we talked about this you can wake up someday and be like I'm not in a great mood you know maybe struggling with something and you put on an outfit and I'm not saying it changes everything, mm-hmm. but it, it there's something that it adds to your life. It gives you a little ray of hope. Yeah. It gives you a little something to work with to like turn the tide of like how you're feeling a bit. Absolutely. And you know what I, I didn't mention, but it, it was definitely part of the experience was, you know, I was in a world of education and one of the struggles that I have within my own Latinx community is uh, uh, around the homophobia and like, you yes. know, the, the, the mindsets that still exist that, you know, uh, some members of the community still hold on to um, around, you know, gender and, and sexuality. And I was mostly uh, a community of, uh, like I said, um, black and brown um, uh, students yeah. and families. Many, many of my families were um, immigrant or first generation right. from Central right. America. I definitely had to like, you know, 
get over my own uh, concerns and hesitations to present as authentically as I am without the fear that like, like the community was somehow going to turn on me, you know? Um, And, and I'm, I'm grateful that they didn't, they still, they knew me, they knew I hadn't changed. Like they they still embraced me. There were a lot of teachable moments uh, as a result, um, especially with the little ones. Like we, we would all take turns to like, you know, uh, do lunch duty just to keep an eye on the kids. And um, I, I kept an eye on little kindergartners and they are, uh, they were amazing but like I would regularly get are you a boy or a girl you know that would happen a lot and so I would just have like very honest conversations about how like you know I'm I'm a girl or a woman you know who has short hair you know and likes to wear ties you know and just kept it simple but like kids got it you know and the adults I think uh you know there were times when maybe people didn't, you know, held their tongue, which I'm grateful for as well. But like <laughs> at the end of the day, I think the community was very embracing and I would uh, get a lot of compliments from my families as well. And it's like, oh, you're looking good. You know, I was going with Miss Villar, but then we had a, a, um, a staff member who joined our school who was non-binary. Um, and they were actually going through trying to figure out how to present, you know, to, to yeah. students and families. Yeah. Like as soon as like, you know, uh, I heard that like this was concerned, like I reached out and, you know, they were like, I don't know what to go by. Like, you know, m- miss, miss doesn't mi- work. Mister yeah. doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So in solidarity, like I also adopted mix MX. Yes. Right. Um, Cause that's what they were um, going with. Made some changes to like the bathrooms, you know, it made them gender neutral and Great. like, you know, Great. started some conversations. There's always an opportunity to, you know, um, expand the dialogue, you know, uh, uh, push maybe people's limits, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and do it in a way that is safe and, you know, um, and supportive. But we need each other to do that, right? Yes. And so, right. like, you know, I I was in a position at that time to, like, be able to engage in a way and, and do things that would be supportive of my staff member. Mm-hmm. Um, just like there have been opportunities for others, other allies, other comrades in my life to do that for me. Yeah. So I think yes. it's a, it's a, it's a continuous effort that we all have to make for each other and like, you know, as we support each other. Fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's great. Let me get to a question that I like to ask all my guests. I'd like for you to complete the sentence. I feel most authentic when? I feel most authentic when I'm rocking an awesome outfit, when my hair looks good, <laughs> you know, I have a fresh cut and yeah. when I find, you know, like, the right accessories. I love accessories, you know, little, just what, little. What kind of accessories do you like? So like tie uh, pins now. Yep. And I, pins. I see they're more lapel uh, uh, pins that I'm seeing around. Yep. So those are cool too. But I've always been into rings, you know, and just different things like earrings too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like different touches I love. And just like feeling, feeling myself, I guess, yeah. is when I feel my most authentic. Because I think at the end of the day, I've struggled a lot with, you know, self-worth and self-confidence and when I have those moments where I'm feeling myself I feel like I'm tapping into my core essence right yeah. because I feel my strongest yeah. I feel my yeah. most good for you invincible right awesome yeah um and and doing that and being able to speak my truth oof I'm Together? at a whole another level yeah, yeah like looking yeah. good and having a platform where I can you know speak my truth I feel like I feel like I do that, that a lot in uh with my ceremonies because you know, in every ceremony, like the words that I put together, the the, the ceremony that's crafted, like I mean those words, you know. Right. So even though it might be, you know, their story, like I can resonate with uh, the couple's story. I can resonate with the messages that, you know, are incorporated in the ceremony because it's coming from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also I infuse, you know, parts of me and what I believe into that mm-hmm. into that uh, ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so 
I feel quite authentic when I'm uh, uh, marrying people and oh, officiating fantastic. weddings. So that's that's awesome. that's a good answer. Yeah, that's a fantastic <laughs> answer. I I love this. I enjoyed this conversation so much. It's amazing hearing about your journey. It's amazing hearing about you going from education to being a, a, a wedding officiant. And I love also that you are making it known that you are willing to marry people who want to get married, who are in love, who who you want their stories told, queer or not, you know, queer so or queer, not, queer or not. That's also really awesome. I would love for you to tell people where to find you. Sure. Yeah, because you know what? There may be people listening right now who are like, hey, we talked about getting married. Yeah. <laughs> talked about getting married. Maybe we want we want Carla to do this. That ceremony. would be amazing. So um, the easiest way to find me directly is uh, at Queer Officiant on Instagram. But I'm part of, like I said, uh, the sister duo at Once Upon a Vow. So if people go to onceuponavow.com, they will find me and my sister, Daniela. I will at some point be uh, working on my, uh, or I am working on it, but at some point I will release my own website with a variety of things that I have in my head. And uh, there are things to come that I will share as, you know, they develop. But right now, uh, Queer Officiant on Instagram and Once Upon a Vow on Instagram as well, but uh, onceuponavow.com online. So Fantastic. Yeah. So obviously you guys need to follow what's happening with Carla at uh, Queer Officiant and Once Upon a Vow. And I guess there you'll sort of announce when you're going to, launch that website and all yes, those goodies. Yeah. That, that it, it's, alone, there's, there's still, there's that. still some time for that, but yes, there's a lot that's going to be coming out. Like you're catching me at like, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, on the first floor, you know, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. coming into this, Fantastic. you know, but I, I, I look forward to being on the rooftops of the tallest building. So wonderful. <laughs> and I, I look forward to seeing you there. It sounds <laughs> like you are a gift to the, the world of like weddings. Thank I mean, you. It, I appreciate it is that. so nice to see more like queer vendors, by the way, that is something that is wonderful. We're seeing a lot more of that. And it's kind of really nice. Yeah, actually, I should I should do a plug for um, Revolution Search that's happening on April 11th mm-hmm. um, through Modern Rebel. Um, oh, yeah, Modern Rebel, amazing. Yes, you know, we've, um, had, we've had Ainsley. Yeah, on. yeah Ainsley, awesome. Ainsley will be moderating a panel that I'll be uh, in um, talking about inclusivity within the industry. So I'm excited about that, and there are other uh, panel opportunities that I'm going to be engaging in in the fall as well. So I'll be sharing more of that on my Instagram. Fantastic. Well, we enjoyed having you immensely. Thank you so much. For Thank being you. On. This was wonderful uh guys please make sure you subscribe to the podcast rate and comment and i guess we'll see you guys in the next episode thanks again carla no problem bye everybody bye guys